Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the majority of our text will come from here this morning, but fair warning, we are going to look at several scriptures this morning, so I encourage you to follow along, as is my uh, want to do. I like to present the brethren with much scripture. I believe it is important for us to be good Bible students and, and good Bible scholars, and the lessons I bring are rich in Bible text. And so I would encourage you to follow along as we, as we look there. And, and God's Word's given us all that we need to know. And so it is my job as the preacher here to, to point that out to you and to show you what God's Word says. And so uh, I would encourage you to follow along as we go this morning. It's good to see everyone. Appreciate uh, the, the good service, the good edifying and encouraging time we've had um, to this point and, and hope that this lesson will be encouraging to you. Personal note, just thank you all, brethren, here for the love that you've shown me and continue to show me. Um, very exciting uh, time in my life, and thank you all so much for, for sharing in that with us. Uh, it's very much appreciated. On that note, let us be alert and sober. I want to talk this morning about that very idea of being alert and sober. It is so very important for us to, to understand what's, what's in this message here in the middle of, of chapter 5 here of 1 Thessalonians 5. And what, we, what we'll see is, as Paul is so beautiful in his language and his writing and, and able to, to pull so much together and to, and to make his points with such dramatic and, um, and thoughtful and weighty precision. It's just wonderful to see, and, and that's why the Bible is a, is a lifetime study. We can study the Bible for our whole lives and, and get more out of it each time we study, and so as we revisit this, I'm, I'm sure I won't say anything this morning that you haven't looked at before, but hopefully we can be reminded of some things here uh, from this chapter um, about the idea of readiness, about the idea of um, how we treat our brethren. And so um, let's start by reading some here in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5. And we start here in verse 1. It says, Now as, the, as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs unto a woman with child. They shall not escape. I want to start this morning by talking about the idea of urgency. This is, this is such a common theme throughout the writings in the, in the Bible. All the way back to um, the, the times of the patriarchs, the idea of, a, of an urgency, of, of, of a getting on with the things that need to be done. I think about when Abraham was told to, to go and sacrifice Isaac. Remember what the, what the scriptures tells us the next morning he did. He arose early and saddled his donkey. The idea of, of getting on with things of, of, uh, in our work is very important. There's also the idea of the urgency, which is what Paul is expressing here in understanding about the day of the Lord. We've been speaking recently in, in our Sunday morning Bible class with our Lord's uh, last uh, week on this earth and, and the, the, the beautiful, rich lessons that he gives and the powerful and deep lessons, and, and especially there in chapter 24 and 25 where he talks about the day of the Lord. What's he talking about? When, and what do, we, what do we mean when we talk about the day of the Lord? Let's 
Let's look here at a couple of things. Go back to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And there's something very important that's expressed there in Malachi 4. We know that the prophets wrote with um, their immediate audience in mind, those who, were, who would receive the, 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 the message immediately. And then, uh, as often there is, there's overtones, there's foreshadowing of, of more things to come. And as was so common with prophecy, that foreshadowing of the final judgment is often there. And we see that here in Malachi 4. Beginning of verse 1, it says, Behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be like chaff. And the day is coming, will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with the healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. And you will tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. Listen carefully what it says here, beginning verse 4. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statute of his ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb and all of Israel. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers and their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. So what's he talking about here when he talks about Elijah? Well, first of all, we understand, we see that terminology there, the coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we might see that as, as um, too descriptive of the same idea about the day, but really, the, it, it's both those things, isn't it? It's a great day. And it's a terrible day. Go back there in chapter 4. It says there uh, in verse 1, The day is coming, burning like a furnace, and they're going to be burned up like chaff, set them ablaze, nothing is left, neither root nor branch. But look what it says there in verse 2. But you who fear my, night, my name, the son of righteousness will rise with its healing in its wings, and you shall go forth and skip about like calves in the stall. You see, it's a, it's a great day for the righteous, and it's a terrible day for the wicked. Both of the same day. Well, what is he talking about there when he says, I'm going to send forth Elijah? Very interesting. We'll follow this through just a little bit here. Go to Matthew chapter 17. There's some misunderstandings about this, and people have distorted this. And even uh, during the, the, the times here, um, there's some that got it wrong about, about John. And that's who's being spoken of here. In Matthew chapter 17, John the, the baptizer, John the Baptist Matthew 17, beginning in verse 9, says, And they were coming down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. This is coming right out of the events there of the transfiguration where our Lord was transfigured. In verse 10, And the disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And we just read that from Malachi 4. He says, Elijah's going to come before the great and terrible day of the Lord. So they're right in understanding about what scripture says, but they're asking about who is Elijah, essentially. So look what Jesus says there in verse 11. He answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things, but I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did nothing, uh, they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished, so also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. So they're asking about Elijah, and Jesus said, yeah, that's right, Elijah must come, but he already has come. Now, who is that? 
Verse 13 tells us, the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Go back, or, or go forward to, I should say, go forward to Luke chapter 1. And we follow this through just a bit more. As um, the angel is telling um, about the, uh, telling Elizabeth about the, the birth of her son, who would be John the Baptist, look what it says in ver verse 15. This is speaking of, of John the Baptist. He said, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn back many of the sons of Israel to the Lord their God. And it, and it is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, the disobedient, the attitude, the righteous, as to make people ready for the prepared and prepared for the Lord. See, John was to come in the spirit of Elijah. And what he was going to do was announce the coming of the Christ. Announce the, the coming of the Lord. And what is the Lord going to do? He's going to bring forth salvation. He's going to bring forth the ability to, for us to, as, as, Micah, uh, as Malachi wrote there, to skip out of the stalls like calves. That great day of the Lord. But he also is ushering in the terrible day of the Lord. And that is the idea of the final judgment. For in Christ is both salvation and judgment. So when Paul writes there in Thessalonians about the, the, the day of the Lord, he's reminding them that there is a sense of urgency because that day is out there. And the idea also with that is no one knows when that day is. Back in our text in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, For the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety, and destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pains. Don't know when that day is. We talked recently and, and quite extensively in Matthew 24 there and 25 uh, as Jesus is making his points there that no one knows the day of the Lord. No one knows when God's going to bring his judgment. Only God the Father alone, not the angels, not the Son of God, but God the Father alone knows. Paul is echoing that. And he says that no one knows when that's going to come. There's a thief in the night. So given that there is a great and terrible day coming and that no one knows when that day is, as Jesus so eloquently puts it in chapter 25 of the parable of the ten virgins, we need to be ready. We need to have the lamps. We need to have the oil that goes in the lamps, right? We need to be ready when the bridegroom comes because there's no second chance. The bridegroom goes in to the wedding feast and shuts the gate behind him. We need to be ready for that. We need to be ready to make sure that we are ready for the coming day of the Lord. And that's what we'll talk about here in this next session, readiness. We talked about it in conjunction with, with um, the, the, the ten virgins parable that, uh, that our Lord spoke. But let's listen to how um, Paul writes about it. Pick up in our text here in verse 4. It says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you like a thief. For if you are all sons of light, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of, uh, of night nor of darkness. So here's the idea that, that Paul is expressing that, that we're not sons of, of the darkness, but rather what? We're sons of light. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. This is uh, expressed this way. Paul writes it as he's writing to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 5, beginning verse 7, um, 
He says, therefore do not be takers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are the light in the world. Walk as children of light. That's that same idea. Light and dark, righteousness and evil. Verse 9 of Ephesians 5. For the fruit of the light consists of all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And do not be participate or do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. I talked this morning about uh, the, the Sanhedrin, the, the, the Jewish leadership wanting to, to seize Jesus and to arrest him and kill him. But they didn't want to do it in full daylight. They wanted to, to do it when? In darkness. Those are the evil deeds that are done in darkness, not in the light. So as he's writing here in First Thessalonians, he says, uh, you, you are not of darkness, but you are of light. And that's what you need to be. This is part of our being ready. Make sure that we are walking in the light. Make sure that we are participating in uh, the right deeds, the righteous deeds, not the unfruitful deeds, those things done in secret. And here's our text here about being alert and sober. Pick up in verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. Here's another uh, contrast of, of light and dark. Sleep at night, get drunk at night. Don't need to be t- we don't need to be participating in those things. Sleep part, yes. <laughs> right? That's not really the sleep he's talking about here. There's another part of this about being alert and sober. There, there's an exact same language that Peter uses when he talks about the devil. I'll read this for you, verse, five, uh, verse 8 of 1 Peter 5. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your, advisor, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking for someone who might devour. So there's, there's danger in the present world too, right? And what does Peter say? He says to be alert and be sober so that we make sure that we're not falling into the temptation of the devil. That's the, the real world, the real time kind of application. But there's also the idea of, of the coming of the Lord. So We need to be alert and sober for that very reason too. So we have two reasons to be alert and sober. We know there's the great and terrible day of the Lord, but also we, need, we know that the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. That's a good reason to be alert and sober as well. So wonderful about what God does for us is that he doesn't leave us without the tools that we need to fulfill his will for us. Picking back up in our, our reading, verse 8. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but for the obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, that we may be together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are doing. Paul uses similar language over there in Ephesians 6, where he talks about putting on the full armor of God, helmet of salvation, the breastplate, and the take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God doesn't leave us without the tools that we need to accomplish this. He's given us the tools that we need to be alert and sober and, 
and to, to walk as, as children of light, to be in the light. He's given us all that. He doesn't leave us uh, orphaned in that way. But not only is there a, a blessing in, in doing it, but he's given us the tools by which we can do it. Finally, let's talk about behavior. Beginning of verse 12, Paul writes about how it is that we ought to behave. And there's a couple of different um, behavior or towards, um, <laughs> where's your towards? <laughs> there's several things here that, that are given to us by which we can uh, best behave. And let me just put this up so I can quit stumbling over it. We need proper behavior towards those who serve. We start with that. Verse 12 and 13 says, but We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction that you may esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. Our, our conduct, our behavior towards those who serve is spelled out here. Brethren, you appreciate those who diligently labor. And who is it that, that, that diligently labors among us? Well, the easy answer is there, right? Elders. He says those who have charge over you. Who would that be? That has to be the elders, right? They're the ones that have charge over us. We spoke last week about elders. Also deacons, those who serve the congregation. That's where the, where the word comes from. Diokoinos. The Greek word there means to serve. That's what deacons do. They serve the congregation. Preachers, what do they do? They spread the word. They keep the congregation focused on the word and tell them and remind them of the things. And so with teachers. Teachers are, are important in the work of the congregation. They help us to, to grow and to appreciate the word of God. And it's very important. These roles are very, very important. Because a congregation without these things is not complete. As we spoke about last week. This congregation here is, is, is functioning and, and doing well, I, I, would, I would say. I think we all agree. But without elders and deacons, we're still lacking, aren't we? That's okay. That's something we can be working towards. But I'll say it again. Brethren, we need to be working towards that. We need to be working towards having elders and deacons, deacons at this congregation so that we can be complete. But we still need to be doing the preaching and the teaching that needs to be going on. And then there's other things that go on as well. Anyone who works in the kingdom needs to be esteemed. We request you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you. There's all sorts of things that need to be done, right? Cleaning of the building, preparing of the Lord's Supper, the upkeep, maintenance of the building. Those things, now, as we talk often about, the church meets here at this building, right? This is not the church. We're the church. But we have been blessed with this facility, and we, we need to keep it up. So that we can assemble here and, and, and worship here and, and do so in comfort. We've had some times where, where storms have come through and knocked the power out. I think that happened like two years ago. We met here on a Sunday morning without air conditioning. Let me just tell you, in the middle of summer without air conditioning, that was rough for this guy. But we were able to do it, right? We did it because the church meets here. But there's still things that need to be done in the upkeep of the church and, and, and the, the brethren that we have been blessed to be a part of, there's upkeep with us, isn't there? Visiting one another, helping each other when, when we're down, visiting in the hospital, all those kind of things. And anyone who does that, anyone who's working in the kingdom, is to be appreciated. 
And so that ought to give us incentive not only to uh, appreciate those who serve, but to become one of those who serve so that we can do our part, make sure that we're maintaining uh, to our best ability the kingdom in which we've been charged. We need to have the right behavior towards those who have need. In verse 14, it says, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men, see that no one repays another with, uh, with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. You know, we have those in need. We need to be able to correct those who are in error. That's a need. We have to be very diligent about that, um, to admonish the unruly, encourage the faint heart, to help the weak, be patient with them. There's error that, that creeps in. Sometimes it's intentional with wolves and sheep's clothing. Sometimes it's out of ignorance that someone just may not know something and might introduce something that is detrimental to the congregation. We need to make sure that we're watching out for that and that, that we can uh, have the proper behavior but it says there, uh, as it comes down to um, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. So even though we have those who are in error and we have those who have legitimate need, faint-hearted and those who are weak, as it mentioned there, everyone needs to be approached from a manner of doing it in the, in the spirit of love. Even those who are causing trouble, these are those who are unruly, still needs to be approached in the uh, from, a, from a standpoint of love. It doesn't mean that we back down, but it has to come from that place of love. We also need to have the proper uh, behavior towards ourselves. In verse 16, I love this verse, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You know, we have to have that, that proper behavior towards ourselves. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. And we have that personal responsibility to make sure that we are doing those things. We have so much to do for each other, but we have to mind our own house too, right? He says over there, back in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse, end of verse 10, We urge you, brethren, to excel still more to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we have commanded you, that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not being in any need. Isn't that a beautiful way to express it? To work diligently um, with your hands. Lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. doesn't mean that we're shut off from the world because it says there at the end, so you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. We can't do this in a, in a vacuum. We can't just close ourselves off from the world because we have a responsibility. But we have that responsibility to take care of ourselves, take care of our own household. That's where it starts. That's why it's so important for an elder to rule his household well because that's the proving ground for an elder. He can prove himself to be a good manager of his family. Then he might very well be a good manager of the household of God. But we have that responsibility, that behavior that we have towards ourselves and the idea there that we rejoice, that we pray, and we give thanks. Those are some things that we can take to heart. Finally, we, have, um, we need to have the proper behavior 
an attitude really towards what is right. In verse 19 it says, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. The first part of that, what does it say, what does it say there? Do not quench the spirit. You know, we have to understand about how the Holy Spirit works. Look over in Romans chapter 8. I mention this often, and it's important for us to understand as, as Christians the role of the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 8, Paul writes about it this way. He says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, uh, but if anyone, I'm sorry, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. This comes out of chapter 6, where he talks about putting to death that old man of sin, right? Rising up out of the baptismal waters as a new creature. We put to death the, the body. And we're now risen to the spirit. Verse 10, and if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet spirit is alive because of righteousness. Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So when Paul writes over there in 1 Thessalonians 5 about not quenching the Spirit, this is what he's talking about here. The Spirit of God has been given to us. It dwells within us. But let's not quench that. Let's not do anything that would, that would damage or harm that. Do not quench the Spirit. And he says there in verse, in verse 20, not to uh, despise prophetic utterances. What is he talking about there? Well, look over in 2 Corinthians you know, this is the idea we mentioned um, a while ago about what is, um, what is happening in the first century, that the word of God is going out. It's going out by word of mouth, and then it's going out also by the letters that are getting written and distributed around. But Paul makes it clear in his writing here, in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adultering the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see the light of the gospel or the glory of Christ, who is in the image of God. Verse 5, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. And ourselves as your bondservants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, light shall shine out of darkness, it is the one who has shown in the hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. And look what it says, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. When we talked about, you know, not despising the prophetic utterances, he's saying the word of God is going out. And we... The apostles and those who are going out and teaching it have been entrusted with this word in earthen vessels. And so you need to hear and heed the words that are being said to you. And to make sure that you are indeed um, being led by them and not despising the prophetic utterances. And finally in this he says, um, examine verse 21 
examine everything, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. We need to make sure, as his audience here was instructed to do, to be able to discern good and evil. We need to have that proper behavior towards what is right and knowing what is, what is good and, and what is of evil. The Hebrew writer expresses it this way in, in Hebrews 11 and verse 14. It says, I have that wrong, but I'm going to get it right. It's Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. My secretary got that wrong again. Hebrews 5 and verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature who because of uh, practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. That's Hebrews 5 and verse 14. Solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. We need to make sure that we have our senses trained so that we can indeed discern what is right and what is wrong. Because if we not, are not able to do that, then, then we can be led astray so easily. There's so many false doctrines that float around, even amongst brethren. We have to be sure that we have that proper attitude and the proper behavior towards what is right. And it means that we, we don't quench the spirit, that we, that we appreciate the gospel going forth and we appreciate God's word and that we're able to discern good and evil. Let us be alert and sober. You know, there's an urgency about it. Paul talks in this passage about the day of the Lord. He says that no one knows when the day of the Lord is coming. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we need to be all these other things, right? We need to be, make sure that we're ready. We need to make sure that we are, uh, have the proper attitude towards those things. We need to make sure that we are uh, continuing in God's word and looking there for instruction. Because there is that the idea of readiness. We need to be on alert. We need to be sober. Not just because the, uh, the devil and because he prowls around this, uh, this world looking for souls to devour. There's also the urgency of no one knows when the Lord, Lord's going to return. So we need to make sure that we are, are ready. And we're given the tools to do that. God has not left us uh, as orphans in that, in that respect. He's given us his word. The first century Christians had the apostles and, and those who were imbued with the ability to, to teach and preach and, and, and the miraculous gifts that accompanied them. But that was all to, to, to spread the gospel and to write down God's ultimate plan. And we have that through the Gospels, through the book of Acts, the book of history, and through the letters that were written during that time. So we have the complete will of God. And we can be saved by it. Paul says in Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel. It is the power of God into salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of salvation is in God's word. We need to make sure that we have the right behavior towards those who serve, those who are in need, to ourselves, and to the Word of God, to what is right, so that we can make sure that we are behaving properly, given all that is this mentioned here in the coming, the great and terrible day of the Lord. It comes down to that question then, are you ready? Are you ready for the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is the, the, that day that's the, that is both of those things. For the child of God, it's a great day. When our Lord will, will come back, 
It says here in, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul describes it, we, don't want, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring, him, bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall, uh, shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with those in the clouds to meet our Lord in the air, and thus shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. For the child of God is a great day. For those who are of the world and walking in darkness, it's the terrible day. The day when they will be burned up like chaff, bran and root, branch and root. It's a terrible day for those who are outside of the kingdom. I hope that you are a child of God, and if you are not, make things right. Become a child of God. Surrender in baptism. Come up out of the waters to be a new creature. If as a child of God you're not ready, you're not ready for the great and terrible day of the Lord. Repent. Do what you need to do to make things right with God. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.